0: is joy in humility joy through humility so we're in Philippians chapter 2 1 through 15 <clears throat> the aim of our lesson believers can find joy through humbly following Christ and I want you to catch that last line there it says in all circumstances everything anything that's happening in your life humility it's a modest low version low view of one's own importance that's a definition to be modest that's a that's still a positive word in our culture. although humility isn't one that people necessarily draw are drawn to. The dictionary accentuates on self-regard being a sense of unworthiness. but in Christian terms, It is our recognition of ourself in relationship to God. It's a freedom from pride. It's a freedom from arrogance. Being humble is to acknowledge you are not God. Isn't that wonderful? Mm -hmm. (laughs) And if you don't have to be God, you don't have all that responsibility. (laughs) And it's to acknowledge that you are not perfect, although God is perfecting us and growing us in Christ and whittling away at our sin nature, he is not, we are not God. And when we understand that, we can have humility. Being humble is to take responsibility for our shortcomings. It's to be content. And it's having gratitude for helping others succeed. So it becomes part of your nature as you are have humility to want to be a part of growing other people, seeing them pushed forward, and you stay in the background. Proverbs 11, 12 says, When pride comes, then comes disgrace, but with the humble is wisdom. So we spent some time in Ecclesiastes looking at wisdom and Proverbs looking at wisdom. So it seems that wisdom and humility are a pair, something that we could look for. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 5 says, <clears throat> Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, <clears throat> with humility toward one another. Don't you love that picture? Put that on every day, all of you. Don't leave your head sticking out so that you miss getting that part of you to be humility. Because, you know, that's where some of those thoughts about me being the most important thing on the earth comes from. We want to just clothe ourselves with humility. And don't think of yourselves more highly than you ought to think. So that's from Peter. I think he had gone that road. Of not understanding exactly his position in some days and, and Jesus had really taught that to him. So the scripture doesn't seem to be about promoting ourselves. It seems more about promoting Jesus. And so that kind of puts us in the correct place. One of the biggest lies Satan has in our ear is about I, ah, that it's all about us, the idea that it's all about us. It's all about myself. And, in fact, there's so much written on low self esteem that the remedies create pridefulness. Oh, you have to put yourself on this pedal, you have pedestal, you have to make yourself the best and and in the Bible clearly says that we already love ourselves. in fact, Jesus just says, you love you need to love your neighbor as you love yourself. That's a built in that we love ourselves, and so our scripture today. It's one of the best guides in the scripture on humility. And it's one of those non-Western lessons because we get a lot in our culture about be all you can be and be the best at your everything and you know promoting yourself. But we get this lesson from Paul who focuses on Jesus. And so he's able to teach us how to be humble because I think it was a journey he had to take. As we have studied Paul, and we know how he was the Pharisee of Pharisees, remember he's talking to the Philippian church, and he's already told them there is joy in prayer. So he's already reminded them at the beginning of Philippians to pray. And then he has already reminded them that there is joy in adversity, that even in your situation, something like being in prison, that there is joy. But he didn't have to give them the big resume because he already knew that they just accepted him as the brother Paul that was their pastor that helped start their church, that he didn't have to tell them that he was the Pharisee of all Pharisees, but we know he started out in that arrogant, prideful place and in that zeal to destroy the church. And so we already know where he comes from, That God has taught him to have joy and humility. So Diane's going to start us now with Philippians 1, verse 27 through 30. -hmm. I
1: mean, excuse me, two. If then there is any encouragement in Christ, if any consolation of love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, make my joy complete by thinking the same way, having the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility. Consider others as more important than yourselves. Everyone should look not to his own interest, but rather to the interest of others.
0: Thank you, Diane. That was Philippians 2, 1 through 4. I just wrote that down wrong. So I think it was because I had gone back to look at Philippians one twenty one, which we focused on last week. For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. So Paul is teaching the Philippian church how to live together in harmony. And he said, to live is Christ. So he begins this passage with what it is to be in Christ. And these are essentially four essentials for living in relationship together. So we start out with the first one, which is encouragement. I always think of Barnabas when I think of encouragement. So he was on my heart and my mind as I thought about and looked into what it is to encourage one another. We know that in the early church, Barnabas, the missionary Barnabas, was known as the encourager because he wanted to build one, each other up and the church up, and even to the degree that him and Paul had a disagreement about whether or not to give a fellow missionary, John Mark, another chance. And Barnabas said, let's just give him another chance. And they had such a harsh disagreement that they parted ways. But God used it and just spread the gospel in more places as now there would be two missionary teams. And then later on we see that Paul was able to reconcile the differences and the feelings that he had against John Mark for disappointing him. But there was the encourager behind that. So this Part of the scripture in Philippians is it encourages us in relationship to be an endless supply of encouragement. So behind every good thing that you probably ever did in your life, there might have been somebody who was nudging you along. It could have been the Holy Spirit because he definitely gives us endless supply of encouragement. But it could have been a teacher. It could have been someone that is a friend or a parent. It could have been a lot of different people I've had the privilege of reconnecting with one of the ministers that married David and I, Larry Sledge. He was a minister of education and youth during the time that I was a young person at this church. And he has reached out to me and to Joyce um, in this time. And I was thinking about him and how he encouraged me as a very quiet, introverted, young person to take leadership in the youth group. I really think he changed my life because I had not opened my mouth. And he encouraged me, and he put me in front of people, and he said, open your mouth. And that began what would become my Sunday school teaching. I started teaching Sunday school at this church when I was 16 years old from that encouragement. So in relationship to one another, encouragement is part of the essential of our relationship, because all of us are going to have those times that we really need to be encouraged. And then he says that there should be a consolation of love of Christ. And Luke 2.25 titles Jesus as the consolation of Israel. The Holy Spirit consoles, but Jesus is the consolation. So the idea, one of the preachers, Spurgeon, who is a famous theologian, says... Is the idea that the Holy Spirit is the physician, but Jesus is the medicine? Jesus is the medicine that gives us a picture of killing off all of that death and gloom and sin in our lives. But the Holy Spirit administering that to us, that medicine, Jesus, as we need it, the consolation of love. So that is a beautiful picture. The cross provided the medicine. And Jesus is the consolation of love. There's comfort that comes from love. I don't know when you think about the word comfort, but when I was cooking for Joyce this week, she had a bad week, and she was very, very ill, just completely in a lot of pain. And I was thinking, what would be comfort food for her? (laughs) What could I give her that would be comfort food? So I was thinking of things that would be easy to digest, but I was also thinking that that make you feel like mama cooked for you. And so we love that word comfort. Comfort represents love, and it strengthens us. And that was the idea that Paul was conveying in this passage today, the idea of comfort strengthening us. It helps us. It can even make you brave. So when you're comforted and you, you're sure of your love, then you can be stronger. So it has a lot of connotations of good things. So another essential that we talked about in this passage was the essential of fellowship of the Spirit. The Greek word for fellowship is koinonia. I've said that word to you a few times because whenever I study Philippians, I think of the fellowship. Paul talks a lot about the church as a fellowship, the brethren gathering together. When you live with the Holy Spirit in your heart, you are in constant fellowship with God. You share your heart. It makes everything in your life available to God. Because you've opened your heart and the Holy Spirit's actually living in your heart, He's aware of everything. He's in the middle of your business. And He can convey into that direction, encouragement, and that spirit of being able to praise God throughout the day and to stay in communion with God. So did the Holy Spirit remind you to pray this week? Maybe he did. Did he put a song in your heart that encouraged or comforted you? Did you suddenly remember a scripture that re- that relayed over and over in your mind? And you were thinking, why is that scripture in my mind? The Holy Spirit was giving you the words you had imparted into your mind. That's what he uses. He uses the pastor's sermon, the scripture that you've memorized, that scriptural song of worship that you sang. He will acknowledge you also, when you're out in the life that you're leading, that you are actually in the presence of another believer. You know, the scripture tells us that, my heart will know that I'm talking to another believer. The Holy Spirit is a very real and present fellowship with us, and then we become in fellowship with one another. Yesterday, I had a nudge of the Holy Spirit, and a friend of mine at work had just had a baby. She's a we call them um, older when they when um, when they have a baby at an older age, so she's a little bit on the. Older side, so I was thinking about her. I woke up thinking about her and I couldn't get her off my mind, so I thought I'll just text her and see how she's going. I texted her and she said, I had to call 911 last night. So honestly, it wasn't that surprising to me because that's happened to me so many times that the Holy Spirit has said, Call, reach out, touch, find out what's going on. And then it's been, Okay, this is why. <laughs> So as it turned out, I had to send her back to the hospital. She didn't go when the 911 people came, but she did need to go to the hospital and to be taken care of. And I said to her, God really loves you. He put you on my heart so that you would talk to somebody who knew that you needed to go to the hospital. And that helped her in the midst of the stress that she's a brand-new mother and that she's sick, but her blood pressure was super-duper high. And she could have a stroke. (laughs) And so as she got to the hospital, she was at stroke level last night. So God was in the middle of saving her by putting her in somebody else's mind. The Holy Spirit provides that fellowship. So I say that to you just to help you understand that Jesus wants us to be in fellowship with one another. And he wants us to understand that he will direct our path to minister to one another. The next piece of the scripture, kind of at the end, said that there would be affection and mercy in the relationships that we have. I love those words affection, a sweet, loving affection that we would have. He listed it as the given aspects of being in Christ. If you are in Christ, you're going to be affectionate, you're going to be loving, but you're also going to have mercy. So you're not going to hold grudges and hold people to the fire. It's going to be part of the Christian loving relationship to one another that you're going to be affectionate and merciful. And you messed up. Okay, you messed up. I love you anyway. Fix it. Let's work on our relationships. Let's get this better. Not that we're going to have everything perfect in the church. There's always going to be disagreement. But we're going to pick each other back up because we're going to be merciful. So just like water is wet and fire is hot, Christians love. And they're affectionate and they're merciful. So it's just what happens when we love one another. So then he says, make my joy complete. So I feel like he was saying all of this, reminding them what Christ wants the church to be like in these essential aspects of relationship. And then like a father with his children or a pastor with his congregation, he says, make my joy complete. That will complete my joy. Haven't you been there? Someone you love? You just want to... You want to encourage them. You want them to do good. And you just tell them, just stay on this path. Boy, you're making my joy complete. It's, this is really so special to me that you are on this pathway. Maybe that child that's turned himself around. Maybe that friend that's pulling things together from a hard place. Make my joy complete. Follow these essentials. Be merciful. Be affectionate. Fellowship with the Spirit. These are things that I want to see you do. He says completeness comes to the body of believers when we are like minded, not single minded, like only we all think only one thought. We're not programmed, but when we're like minded, when we when we all have that in common. I don't know how you feel, but I love and rejoice being with with people who love Jesus. Because then I know where everybody's coming from, where the love is coming from, and I can trust that. Because now in the, the kind of society that we have, people are so confused and there's so much anger and there's so much controversy. And it's weary, to, it wearies you to be in the middle of controversy all the time and that where people are just kind of at each other continuously and nobody's happy. But he says, be unified in your spirit and your purpose, unity. That that idea of all of us loving the Lord and then being like-minded as brothers and sisters for the purpose of expanding the kingdom of Christ. We have purpose. We have a reason to be together. We don't just come here just to worship. Worship is what God expects of us. We can worship everywhere and all the time. And we should worship corporately, but we've also come here as a beacon of light in Midwood neighborhood to gather people, to bring people to Jesus as a place where we can baptize people. This is something that we want to do because our purpose is to bring people into the kingdom of Christ. We want to have a place where we can bring them into our family. And so unity is achieved, he says, by humility, not by selfish ambition and not by conceit. Do you ever use that word? He's conceited. All he thinks about or she thinks about is herself. Pop would never want the narcissism of our time. He wanted us to put each other first. He wants the church to be that joy acronym. Jesus first, others second, yourself last. And so he says that we have to be Humil- we have to have humility to do that. So the next scripture then is Philippians 2,
1: 5-11. Adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus, who, existing in the form of God, did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. And he had come as a man, he, and when he had come as a man, he humbled himself, by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to death on a cross. For this reason, God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father.
0: Thank you. When you read passages like that, you feel like you've come up to the table And it's richly set, and it's got steak and all of the big deal luxury meals because there's so much for us to absorb from this banquet that is presented in the Scripture. This passage was actually considered as maybe Paul using a hymn that was being done in the church um, as a basis for the theology that he's preaching for us here. It doesn't matter because 1 Corinthians 13, we know could have been a beautiful hymn that he wrote. So he could have written this and then the church later on used it as a hymn. But it's just so eloquent. It's just so beautiful. It's such a picture of how we're to live in relationship to each other. He says, let this mind be in you. Let it. 1 Corinthians 2.16 says, we have the mind of Christ, but Paul is saying... We must choose to let this attitude live in us. So we have the mind of Christ, but he lives in our heart, but we still are owners of our own personalities. So we choose every day to put the armor on. Remember, to put the humility on. (laughs) So we choose it. And the mind that he wants us to understand is Jesus. So the essence of Jesus, everything about Jesus, in Christ, we're trying to be in relationship with each other as we are in Christ, and that looks like Jesus, who was fully man and fully God, and so this was all explained in this beautiful passage of how Jesus took on the earthly limitations to save us to save us, allowing them to give him brutal punishment and death. He was truly a human, but it was humanity added to his deity, so his deity was never removed from him. He accepted the limitations of humanity on his own, and any time he could have changed his mind, and that's what the Garden of Gethsemane was all about, that that was something he could have done, and yet he didn't. He chose to remain in those limitations of humanity to accept the brutal punishment. He left glory in heaven, and he came so that he could be Emmanuel, God with us, so that he could be our holy high priest who had been in every circumstance that we ever would be in, who had felt suffering, who had felt betrayal, who had felt joy, who had felt the pain of being a little hungry, of fatigue. He had felt all of the earthly manifestations. He didn't come here rich in a station of life. He came here in the most humble way. So he represents every aspect of humility. And as you read through this scripture, which is so meaty and you could have many, many sermons I have in my Bible, many, many sermons that pastor has preached from this scripture. He humbled himself as a man He was born in a manger as a child. He was born into poverty. He did not choose to come into riches. He humbled himself to the work of a carpenter. He took on the work of this world that is necessary. We have to work in order to have our means of substance that we would be able to have food on our tables he had taken on that work and he was providing for his family after joseph was dead, death his father's earthly father's death he humbled himself to public ministry so any preacher or person who has gone into the ministry like barnabas knows that there is a time that many of those that call, accept the call to, to god are very poor <laughs> and have to struggle and have, and have to go through seminary and, and, and go, go through a period of time that things are really dependent on the goodness of other Christians supplying their needs. They really have to learn to trust God. That was his whole life. The whole three years that he was in ministry was movement from one place to another. There was never an, an accumulation of any kind of means. The friends that he chose were poor. They were... Um, Weak and he had he actually ended up in weakness, hunger, thirst, and tiredness, obeying the Father. He submitted to death, and it was the most shameful of deaths. Everybody, a Jew, would be this was the worst thing that could happen to a Jewish person. It was also considered such a vile death that the Romans would not crucify a true Roman. So, to the cross. Paul makes a point to say that he humbled himself even to the cross, even death on the cross. The most despised death. All of creation, though, will exalt this man who was this humble. So we see that humility is the face of Christ. And our last scripture is Philippians 2, 12 through 15.
1: Therefore, my dear friends, just as you have always obeyed, So now, not only in my presence, but even more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who is working in you both to will and to work according to his good purpose. Do everything without grumbling and arguing, so that you may be blameless and pure, children of God who are faultless in a crooked and perverted generation, among whom you shine like stars in the world.
0: Thank you. So as we finish up our focal passage today, we're working out our salvation, but we're not earning our salvation. We are living out the result of our submission to Christ, which would be part of our humility in submitting to Christ. So to live in Christ is to fear God. He says, do that in fear and trembling. Knowing our place is to respect God's holiness keeps us humble. When we understand that, we understand our place in the created order that God is the one to be worshiped, not ourselves, not our children, not our boss, not our work, not our country, but God is the one that we worship. So you've heard people say the expression keeps me humble when they're encountering one who is superior in knowledge and skills. We should all be kept humble by our focus being on Jesus Christ because he was the one who lived the submission, the humility, life of humility that we need to be. So approaching the work of the church with fear and trembling allows us to do his good purposes. And doing his good purposes means we will be blameless, pure children of God versus being in this big, bad, crooked, bad world, (laughs) which is what I wrote down on my paper. You will stand out, church. Because you won't be grumbling and fighting and joining in all of the adversarial practices of the world. But you will have the joy of humility because you are emulating the humility of Christ. So you can do that by worshiping God. And the picture that we will all bow our knees to King Jesus is the picture of the, write, the writing of all relationships that God the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit will be worshipped, and we will all understand our place because every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. I'm going to turn things over to Pastor Gary.